Jesus is our mediator, as Pastor Ed Ray explains. He lays his hand on you, and he lays his hand on Father God, and he becomes the bridge in between a holy God and a not-so-holy us. That's what Jesus does for us. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. True peace. It's been said it's not merely the absence of conflict, but the presence of righteousness. A mediator is proof God can make things right between us and Him and that He wants to do it. That discovery should lead us to pray that He will. Well, hello and welcome to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We've been making our way through the New Testament book of 1 Timothy. Last time we were together, we began looking at chapter 2. That connects a heart for prayer to God's heart to save. Picking up on that point from 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, here's Pastor Ed. We need to pray because God is concerned about the whole world. Now, the word godliness appears often in Paul's letters to Timothy. It will appear six times. Paul is giving a call back to godliness. He means the sanctified life. What? A life that's set aside. That You say, God, I give you my life. I give you my hands. We're going to see that in a minute, that God wants us to give over to him. You don't do it once. <laughs> you do it over and over again. Jesus is Lord. Really? Today? <laughs> this morning? Of everything? Okay, Lord, forgive me. You're not Lord. Be Lord again, please. Godliness refers to a proper attitude and conduct before God, that God sees everything. And then the second word, reverence, means before other people. You are a witness. People know that you're going to church. People know that you have a Bible. People know that you claim to be a believer. And so God says, walk like it. Paul says, yes. Why? Verse 3. Because this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. You want to make God happy? Do these things. That's what this says. Pray for those in authority, government. Pray for favorable conditions that the gospel would go out on the earth because God likes it to happen, and he's pleased with us when we do it. Why? The next verse. Because he desires all men, verse 4, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is an astounding, I think it's a stunning verse. Living Bible, he wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. NIV, he wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It is God's longing. Lots of other verses say the same thing. John 3.16, most famous one, right? God so loves the world so that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever, who's a whosoever? Whosoever, that's pretty broad. That's anyone. Anyone who would believe on him would be saved. 1 Peter 3, 9, God would that all would come to repentance. So God wants everyone to be saved, but Jesus said not everyone will be saved. Why? Listen, Matthew 7, 13, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, 
and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go down yet. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are a few who find it. So God's will doesn't come to pass. God's desire is that everyone would be saved. Why doesn't it happen? Because God has given to us and trusted us this thing called free will, that I can say no to God. David said, we're fearfully and wonderfully made in Psalm 139. We're wonderful when we respond to God and say, God, I surrender, give you life, forgive my sins, I want to spend eternity with you, make my life flourish, make it count, make it significant. But then we're fearfully made when we say, no, God, I'm going to do it myself. Remember when you were, when your children were four years old and they said that? I'm going to do it myself, Daddy. Okay, <laughs> I'll be here to pick you up. <laughs> when you crash and burn, that's what we sound like to God when we say no. So we have a choice. Now, God respects us. He made us and he respects us, but he does plead with us. This is the way God said it in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. He's talking to the children of Israel because they're blowing God off. As witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. That's simple, isn't it? Choose life. He's not saying jump through the hoops, do all the performance, right? He's saying surrender to me and I'll fix you from the inside out. Put my spirit within you and change you, give you a want to that you've never had before. Those who say that God sovereignly predestines some to salvation and others to damnation are ignoring these verses. You cannot hold that theology and say that you're biblical. I'm sorry, I just need to be clear about this. He tells us to pray that men might be saved because that's God's desire. Does that mean God will overrule somebody's free will? No, but he'll make it very difficult for idiots like me to keep ignoring him when your wife is praying for you. Some of you are in that condition right now, and you're squirming right now, and I feel your pain. I've been there. But she loves you, and she wants you to spend eternity with her. God seems to delight in saving the most outrageous people. As I look around this room, I'm smiling because I know some of you really well, and some of you know me really well, B.C., before Christ. And God seems to delight to take people that are really messed up. You know, like the leaders, <laughs> like those out in front of stupid acts and things. I mean, if you're gonna sin, sin big, right? That kind of a person. And God responds and touches them and saves them. And then others go, wow, God let him in? <laughs> God let her in? Maybe he let you in. Yeah, he will. So he says, come to the knowledge. Epigenosis, interesting word. This word, gnosis, means to know something. Epi means to have an aha moment. It's recognition. When I prayed and asked God to show himself to me years ago, 
it was an aha moment for me. I went, you mean all those stories I've heard <laughs> since I was a kid? They're true? That's what this means. It means precise and correct knowledge, real, not what appears. You know, this, this appears to be solid. It isn't. You shoot an electron right through it. It wouldn't touch anything. There's more space than there is solid here. But it appears solid. We think of it as solid. Precise truth is that we will spend eternity somewhere. God's saying, come with me. It'll be good. Verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Remember Paul's writing to a Greek and Roman culture, Greco-Roman culture, and he says, there's only one God. They had a gazillion gods. They had a God for every emotion. And he was writing to this young man in Ephesus that was the center of Diana worship, the goddess of sex. At this huge temple there, one of the seven wonders of the world. People go in there from all over the Roman Empire for the wrong reason. All kinds of gods, all kinds of idols. He says, no, there's just one. And there's one mediator. Mediator is an intermediary between two people that are in a conflict. It's someone who, who goes to both parties and tries to reconcile them back together in a lawsuit. It, it's an attorney. It's a lawyer, a mediator. It's an advocate for you. He says Jesus is that. He's a mediator. In the Old Testament, Job, one of the earliest books in the Old Testament, Job understood the need for it. He didn't know it was Jesus, but he wrote about it, Job 9.32. For God is not a man as I am, that I may answer him. I can't stand and talk to God, but that we should go to court together. I, I can't appear before a judge and have an argument with him. Nor is there any mediator. There isn't any solicitor. There isn't any attorney, any lawyer between us that he may lay his hand on me and on God. That's a beautiful picture. He didn't know it was Jesus, but that's exactly who Jesus is. He lays his hand on you, and he lays his hand on Father God, and he becomes the bridge in between, a holy God and a not-so-holy us. That's what Jesus does for us. I'm losing some of you. I can see it in your eyes. Okay, think lawyers a moment. So there's this barber who's a very community-minded guy. And one day a pastor comes in and he gives him a haircut and the pastor goes to pay him. The man says, no, 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 you're a man of the cloth. You take care of the body of Christ. No, no pay. And the pastor said, thank you very much. And when he, the barber came in the next morning, there was a dozen Bibles sitting in front of the door. So he said, oh, that's great. I can pass them out to my customer. That day, a policeman came in, got his haircut. Barber finished it, and the policeman tried to face it. No, no, no. You, you take care of the bad people. You no pay. And he said, well, well, thank you very much. And the next morning, when the barber opened the shop in front of the door, there were a dozen donuts. <laughs> Sorry. There's a couple of cops in the service. Sorry, I couldn't resist. I had to adjust the joke just a little. That day, an attorney comes in, and he gives him his haircut, and when he finishes, the attorney starts to pay, and the, the barber says, no, 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 uh, no pay. You are in the justice system. You, you are a defender. You help people. Well, I said, thank you very much. The next morning, when the barber came in, there were a dozen lawyers waiting for a free haircut. 
We only need one mediator, one attorney, <laughs> to argue our case before God. And he's the one who paid the price. This is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Glad you're with us. We continue now with part two, along with the conclusion of today's lesson from 1 Timothy chapter 2. Picking up in verse 9, once again, here's Pastor Ed. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. God gave the world at just the right time, at just the proper time, in the fullness of time, Paul wrote. Philip says he gave himself as a ransom for all men, an act of redemption that stands at all times as a witness to what God is, to who he is. Now, the word ransom is a very interesting one. This is the only time that this Greek word is used in the New Testament. Luthron is the normal word for a ransom, and it means to pay for a slave. In other words, if you were a Jew and you sold yourself into slavery because you got in bankruptcy, the amount of money that it would take for your family, a person to buy you out of slavery. In this case, though, Paul adds a little prefix on it, and it's the word anti, anti-leftron, like the anti-Christ we talked about a few weeks ago, the instead of Christ. So what Paul is saying here is that Jesus is the anti-type, the anti-ransom, who is valued at much more than what the slave is worth, okay? (laughs) That Jesus came and God the Son came and gave his life for every person on the planet, but even at that, he was worth much more. He was valued way beyond the worth of the slaves that were being purchased back. That's what he's saying. That God came himself. Notice that he gave himself. There's an old Persian story from Iran centuries ago of a a shah, a king over the country. He was a very benevolent guy who wanted to know his people and what they were struggling with. And it was his regular practice to put on street clothes, to dress like a beggar, and to go out among the people true story, and he would do this regularly. And there's a place that he started going that was just the people that are really down and out. He found a man living in a cave, and he went in, and it was an older guy, and he was a worker all day long. and was only there in the evening, so the king came in and just sat down next to him and talked with him. He liked him so much, he came back the next week. And then he came back the next week, and he regularly started visiting this old guy in this cave. And finally, after several weeks, he admitted to the guy that he was the king. And when he did that, he waited for the guy to ask him for something he did. He said, don't you want to ask me for something? I am the king. I can give you whatever you need. And the guy said, you left your palace in your glory to sit with me in this dark place to eat my coarse food and to care about what happened to me. On others you may bestow rich gifts, but to me you have given yourself. That's what Paul is saying. Jesus gave himself for you in the great exchange. Verse 7, For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, teacher, I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying. That was a, a popular Greek phrase, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Kyrux is the Greek word that actually originally meant a trumpet, but it came to mean the trumpet 
herolder. So when a king had a, a message to go out to the whole realm, he'd send out this herald with a trumpet, blow the trumpet, then he'd make the announcement. So Paul is saying he's a representative of the king to make an announcement, not to the people that were in Jesus' kingdom, but those who God wanted to come into his kingdom, the Gentiles who had never heard of him. Paul says, I get the great privilege of going to people that do not know anything about God. Of course, that also almost got him killed several times, but Paul is excited about being able to be used that way. Therefore, I desire, verse 8, I desire, therefore, that the men, and in this case, it's talking to us guys here, gentlemen. Often, Scripture uses a generic term for humanity, uh, arthropos. This is not that word. This is the word for us men. So let me speak to you. Women appear next time in the next set of verses. Therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. What's going on here? God is saying, gentlemen, particularly to those of us here who are married, God doesn't want us to talk to our wives about prayer. He wants us to do it in front of them. He wants us to lead the way. Why does God have to say that? Because we're lazy in spiritual areas. You can be the hardest working guy on the planet, but you will struggle with the same thing that every man does. Leading his family. I don't know, we're embarrassed. We know we're idiots. We know we're sinners. We don't think we're qualified. There's a thousand different reasons Satan says to us and Jesus say, no, no, step out and lead. Start with confession, Lord, forgive me. But just lead. Your wife, your children, your grandchildren need to see you praying. That's what he says. It's in a very interesting way. Lifting up holy hands. Oh, pastor, you're going Pentecostal on us here. I didn't write this, okay? Paul did. Lifting up holy hands. When you read about Solomon dedicating the temple, said he said he lifted up hands and spread his fingers towards heaven. That's what he's talking about, and that's what happened in the early church for at least the first 300 years. How can you say that, Pastor? Well, because there's drawings in the catacombs of Christians praying. The dove represents the Holy Spirit. Here's this guy praying, getting his prayers answered with his fingers stretched out. These three guys doing it. There's pictures of Messianic Jews with their head covered, hands outstretched. This is the catacombs entrance. Go to Italy and Greece with us, the footsteps of Paul. This spring, you can see these. All right. So, the Jewish custom was to stand and do that, and it spilled over into the church. Now, I have a pastor who says there's four ways to, to do this. He says the best one is the funnel. That's hands out like this. That way you get everything. I'm teasing, okay? He says it. It's like, and and then, then there's the two hash marks that, you know, I'm just going to take this much, God, only that. <laughs> then there's surrender. And the eyes are open like that because when you do this the first time, guys, you got to go in the bathroom, shut the door, don't let your wife know. She'll think you're losing it. And then you do it and you look at yourself and go, (laughs) I can't do that. And then he says the fourth one is this one, which is the hug. The point is to display our lives before our family and lead them spiritually. Okay. Try and sum all this last verse up without wrath and doubting. Anger, forgiveness, giving forgiveness to other people. 
You can't go to the altar, Jesus said, and pray until you're right with your brother. Forgiveness. It's hard to do because people don't deserve it. But God wants us to give it without wrath and without doubting. Doubting? Without faith, it is impossible to please God, Hebrews tells us. Well, I'm not sure I have that faith. Just say it. Lord, I choose to pray, believing you're going to do this. I'm asking for something. God will answer. There's at least three answers, right? Yes, which we're all looking for. No, which is not what I want, but at least I got an answer. And then the one I get an awful lot is the word wait. And that's because God's working on my lack of patience. Maybe you're joining me in that. But God wants us to ask in faith. James 1, 7. Let not that person suppose that they will receive anything from the Lord who is double-minded and unstable in their ways. So we need to trust that God is going to respond to us. Okay, go back and think about that concept of I would that everyone should pray the way it started. First priority. Years ago, Raylan and I worked behind the Iron Curtain. One of the socialist countries we visited was East Germany. And uh, East Germany has a monumental day in their history, October 9th. 26 years ago on October 9th, a nation was changed because of prayer. That's the story. There's a church in Leipzig. It looks like Leipzig, but they pronounce it Leipzig. And it's called St. Nicholas. It's a Lutheran church, actually, an old cathedral, 800-year-old church. Huge church, almost empty most of the time, until... About 1979, they started a Monday night prayer meeting for God to unify Germany again. You remember there was the Berlin Wall, and the uh, Russians were controlling one side, the east side, and the western side, America, and the British were taken care of. So this church started a prayer meeting. Sometimes there were less than a dozen people there, but for 10 years they prayed. And then suddenly in the last few months in 1989, through the summer, it began to explode with people coming to the church. On October 9th, the Monday night in 1989, Pastor Franz went in, that's him, went in uh, to the church and it was packed out. He said, there are so many people inside the church that any more could simply not fit in. And when he went outside, there were 10,000 people standing in front of his church on a Monday night holding candles and praying for the nation. Five of the churches opened their doors, and all these people went in, prayed for an hour, came back out, and they did a peaceful march. And he read that uh, an appeal to the protesters and to the police alike to, quote, I urge you to keep the peace. 30 days later, November 9th, this happened. The wall came down because people prayed. Yes, I know President Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, take the wall down. Here's the reason behind it. Pray for those in authority over you. God hears and he changes inspiring account of what prayer can do pastor ed ray has given to us today on growing grace or should i say what god can do in answer to prayer god answers prayer and changes people even nations what you heard today is just a part of a series in first timothy get today's study on cd by calling us toll free 
at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. You can also listen to the program online at thepackinghouse.org. Again, we're at thepackinghouse.org. We don't like to make a big deal about it, but we are listener-supported ministry. And if God is calling you to take part in the ministry through a financial gift, we'd like to say thanks by sending you Power Through Prayer by E.M. Bounds. Maybe prayer to you is just something you do without much thought before a meal or just another thing to cross off your to-do list. There's great power through prayer, and this book will help to elevate your thinking about it to see how it truly makes a difference. This guidebook provides believers with information about the most effective ways to use prayer to better understand God's Word, to fully appreciate divine power, and more deeply commune with God. Again, that's your gift of any amount to grow in grace. You can call 844-77-GRACE. We are always touched when we hear about what God is doing through this radio ministry. If you're growing in grace as you study alongside us, would you mind shooting us an email today? Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. Then join us back here next time for Grow in Grace as we return to 1 Timothy. In the meantime, keep looking to Jesus and grow in His grace. Zion, now filled with hands And in this place gotta dwell with man Sick be healed and the crippled stand Singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your